Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. If you're a medical device professional, what does your EQMS, what's it doing for you? If it's paper-based, I can tell you what it's not doing, and that's helping you accelerate the delivery of your life-changing medical devices to patients who need them most. Paper-based quality management system, it always sounds like a, uh, almost like an oxymoron. How is your QA team going to achieve true quality if they're still chasing engineers for signatures or searching for the needle in a stack of papers? Greenlight Guru is the only quality and product development platform designed and to support medical device companies throughout their commercialization journey. That's because we're from the medical device industry ourselves. If you're looking to deliver high-quality, life-saving devices to market on an average of three times faster, contact Greenlight Guru today to start the conversation. Hey, guys. Today, we're going to be talking about navigating the MD SAP. And today, the person talking to us about that, who's going to be teaching this, is Danny Crew. He's been a consultant since 1994 in ISO 9001, medical devices, as well as aerospace quality management system. He's a subcontract lead auditor for several of the largest registrars in North America for ISO 1345, CE marking, and CMDR. And uh, he provides quality management system and regulatory affairs services to medical devices. He specializes in ISO 9001 quality management systems, as well as ISO 1345, 2016, and MDSAP medical devices quality management system. So he has a lot of experience in this field. And he gives a lot of interesting tidbits and knowledge. So I think you're going to enjoy this episode. So keep listening to hear the rest. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is Etienne Nichols, your co-host. With me today is John Spear, founder of Greenlight Guru and, and host of today's podcast. Today, we also have with us Danny Crew from DocuSys. He has you know, a lot of background. We, we've already talked a little bit about that at the, in the intro, but Today, we want to focus and kind of extract from his knowledge a little bit more about MDSAP audit. So uh, maybe before we just jump in, maybe, Danny, I can give you the mic and you want to talk to us about what an MDSAP audit even is or what MDSAP is? Sure. So MDSAP stands for Medical Device Single Audit Program, and it was initiated several years ago. It started with Health Canada when they had this CAMCAST program, and basically they included Canadian requirements within the ISO 1345 audit. And then other countries saw that this was a good approach and they got together to start this MDSAP program. And the countries involved are the United States, Canada, Japan, Brazil, and Australia. So what happened was that they, they wanted to set up a framework so that you can have one audit performed and cover all the regulatory requirements. It doesn't mean that your product would be cleared or approved with that, but it's just a, an extra step. And, and it could, in some cases, lead to missing a chance that you wouldn't have to have an audit from the FDA. It would also help out in other aspects. So what happened with the MDSAP audit is that uh, they selected auditing organizations. They're not called certified certification bodies because it's not a, a certificate. It's not a, a accredited certificate. It's, it's basically a certificate that's offered by auditing organizations. 
and they have to meet certain specific requirements. And there aren't so many auditing organizations. There are about 13 that are that exist right now. And what happens is, is that if you do want to sell into a country, especially Canada, you need to have an MDSAP certificate because it's replacing the old CAMCAS program. I remember a few years ago when, when Canada came out with that requirement and, and the, the med device world, I don't know, they, it was sort of like, it seemed like very bold, like how dare Canada make this <laughs> a requirement for me to continue selling devices into the Canadian market? You know, you, you kind of on the other end of that, what, what were you feeling or what was your reaction when Canada, you know, came kind of threw down that gauntlet and said, thou shalt do MDSAP if you want to keep selling in, into the Canadian market? Well, I was worried as a citizen of Canada, whether I'm going to have access to all the medical devices that I had before MDSAP program. And that is a big concern. And Health Canada, I think, realized that there, there was an issue with that. What happened also was that several of the auditing organizations jacked up their prices tremendously. And for small companies, it was very difficult for them to get MDSAP. It was, they were looking at if a company had only a million dollars in sales in the Canadian market or a smaller amount, a very small percentage of sales, it was hard for them to justify either changing their notified body or auditing organization. And some said no, because, you know, Canada is not a large part of the medical device market. It's about 3% altogether. And, and companies were trying to justify it. But it also offered an opportunities for some distributors. And some of those distributors were distributing those products and they went and they got licenses from Health Canada by having their own MDSAP and using the technical files and the documents that were provided by the original manufacturer. So this is one way that some companies have benefited. But it's hard to say that it benefits or not. I'm of the opinion that it made things more expensive and it made the barriers for entry much higher and may have helped larger companies as opposed to smaller companies. Yeah. And and you're hitting on the other thing. I remember when, you know, at least on the surface, the, the idea uh, or the concept of MDSAP is largely appealing you know, to me uh, as potentially as, a, a, you know, one within a medical device company. And the premise is, you know, I can have one audit that can satisfy the regulatory needs of multiple different geographic regions. Now, maybe not every geographic region, but there is some appeal to that. And to your point, when this first came out and, you know, Canada said, Health Canada said, thou shalt do this to stay in the Canadian market. I, I talked to so many small companies. They were torn or they were faced with that exact decision. Yes, an MDSAP audit satisfies the needs of the United States and Australia and Canada and Brazil and Japan. And it means we have less audits in the calendar year. But it also means that that one audit is much, much longer than having individual audit. So, yeah, I could take this approach, but it's too expensive. I don't have that much of a market share. It takes too much of my internal resources. I mean, we're a small company. We can't have head of quality and a few other key resources be tied up for such a long period of time in one 
a single audit. So is that still the case with MDSAP? I mean, is it, is it still kind of onerous like that with respect to the, the time, effort, and energy that's required and the cost? I mean, have we seen something change since then? Not really change, but some people are using that as an advantage. So strategically, some companies are offering to, because they have MDSAP already, and, and it's just a matter of adding a device to their scope, which is similar to what they provide. So it, they, they could take on that additional scope. And instead of going through a stage one, stage two audit, and through adding a product is not as costly. So there are some companies that are doing that. And it also, the time factor is another factor because it could take six to 12 months before you can get an audit because these auditors were very busy and there's, you know, the, the amount of days involved is, is quite a bit and, and there's a demand all over the world. So if you're just adding to your scope, it, it's not a, a difficult thing. And there are some companies that are doing that. Not so many, but that's one of the things that's different now. I think the other thing that soon happened after, after the MDSAP requirement was for Canada was EU changed their regulations you know, almost at the same time or right on the tail end of some of this with now the EU MDR, which, at least from my perspective, seemed to create an even bigger demand on the services from auditing organizations because now you have, you know, Europe is one of these other markets that I'm probably interested in. They're not part of MDSAP, but I want to have one audit that can satisfy all of these different needs. Right. Are we still in a shortage of auditing organizations? I mean, are we still feeling sort of this supply and demand issue? I mean, you mentioned maybe six to 12 months to wait. Well, right now, I think it's a better situation than it was at the start, because when the expiry date, when Health Canada said you need to be MDSAP by a certain date, it didn't happen. And they they allowed some companies who had already their ISO 1345 and CAMCAS and just to, to continue on and just to show them that they have a, a book date. What's happened now is, and, and you're right, the EU MDR is pulling some of those audit, auditing resources and there may be a bigger payday for the registrars or notified body in terms of that. There's also a lot more costs for them. But right now it's difficult with some of the auditing organizations, they may, you know, you may have an audit that's scheduled next month and you didn't get notified. It may be a reflection of how organized they are, but sometimes they're just scrambling to find auditors and and these auditors have to go through extensive training. They have to go through standard training with several modules from FDA and pass tests and then be witness audits and all these different things before they can go on their own. So it's a difficult situation, but it's gotten better than it was before. Outside of the kind of, you know, the different things that are impacting how the MDSAP works or maybe the the way it's changed or is influenced, what are some of the differences? Like if we go back to the definition, uh, what are some of the differences between the MDSAP and maybe trying to get an ISO 13485 certification? Can you speak to that? Right. So in the MDS, MDSAP audit, there is, a, it's very prescriptive. The audit is very prescriptive. You have uh, seven processes that are listed and you have to follow those seven processes. And there is a document 
that is available on the internet called Audit Approach. It's a 231 page document that provides you with all the questions that you could be asked, all the seven processes, which are management, measurement analysis, improvement, device uh, purchasing, production, all of them have assigned tasks and assigned questions and interpretations related to that. And, And the auditors have to basically complete their task in a certain amount of time, or they're assigned a certain amount of time. Obviously, they may need a little bit more time, or they could finish a little bit earlier, but basically, uh, the audits are basically almost scripted. You know, if you read that 231 page document, you will know all the questions and all the interpretations of what people will be asking. So that's different. Uh, with ISO 1345, if you were in a certain jurisdiction, uh, some auditors would be, could be a little bit more. Uh, difficult or picky, and and the other auditors may be not asked much. They may not even ask some of the same questions. But with MDSAP, the way the process has been set up, it's much. It, it you know there's there isn't that variability. You you know you have to ask all those questions at least in the initial audit for all the tasks that are applicable to that company's organization. Okay, that makes sense. Is that a is that a document that you would recommend uh, having, like a company having? I can see us, you know, maybe we should link that in the show notes. But so, from my background, is more product development and manufacturing. So I've not seen this. So this is pretty interesting. Yeah. So it's it's one of the things that people who are in the business know about, but it's not well advertised. Uh, I don't think the auditing organizations are telling too many people about it, <laughs> but. It's there and it's in a tremendous resource. The FDA has done a tremendous job providing resources and uh, FAQs and explaining the process. And, you know, it, it shouldn't be a surprise. And what's the purpose of an audit? It's to see if you conform to the requirements. And if they outline all the requirements and they outline all the things that are important to the FDA and also to the other regulatory bodies, it should be an easy process. It isn't so easy because some companies' systems are mature and they go through it quite easily and others are not. So it depends on your company. It depends on the level of maturity of your quality system. Okay. That makes sense. You worked with BSI in the past and now and now working as a consultant. I already mentioned, you know, my background a little bit. It, sometimes the audit world feels very mysterious, uh, you know, for the product development side. So I get pulled in every now and then you get, get asked a few questions and you're like, okay, other than that, I don't know what happens behind those closed doors. So one of the questions I guess I'm curious about as a consultant, how do you get your clients? How do people find out about you? Well, it's mainly word of mouth. Besides doing consulting, I did a uh, webinar maybe five or six years ago And somebody saw it at McGill University, and they asked me to develop a course for the graduate department on medical device quality and regulatory affairs. And, you know, so it's basically word of mouth. I'm not not trying to be the biggest, but I'm just trying to do consulting in this area. And I haven't really had the need to, to go to cold call or to ask somebody to do marketing for me. People come through word of mouth. 
and people recommend me. And uh, it's it's interesting how many people, and, and also within the auditing organizations, they like to go, the auditors like to do audits when I have some involvement in terms of the quality system, because you see that the systems are are, are good and they're, they don't only recommend me, they have to recommend three people, but I'm usually one of the ones that they recommend. So it that's the way I usually get business. That's cool. Do you, I know you can't speak, you know, maybe in specifics, but I'm curious if you have any interesting stories from the different audits you've been in. Well, you know, uh, and this is not really an audit that I've been in, but this is the way I'll give the story will give you an, uh, an idea of how I usually get business. So I'm, I, I get a call from a client and they say that uh, you were one of the people that this uh, auditing organization uh, recommended that we talk to. So what happened? Well, we had an MDCEP audit and the consultant that we had left because the consultant was, maybe a little bit frustrated because he wasn't aware of all the questions and he was there to help us out and help us answer questions. And, and you mean left during the audit? Yes, because he got frustrated because he, he couldn't, it was maybe a little bit foreign to him. He was maybe used to ISO 1345 audits and he was asked a lot of questions. So one of the questions that come up within all the different chapters or all the different processes is uh, uh, were there any changes? Show me how you dealt with changes. And, and, you know, change control is really an important process. And it's not something that everybody is familiar with. Practices on a regular basis, maybe changes for design, they will do it, but, but not changes for, for procedures. And they wouldn't document and look at the impacts. So, uh, getting back to the story, so this company said, well, we got this amount of, of nonconformities and we need your help. We need you to help us fix them and so that we can get our MDCEP certificate and, and deal with that. So, and, and now they've come back to me and they said, well, we want you to help to redo the documentation and we want you to, to uh, work with us. So that's happened a few times where where people have have either tried on their own and they were having an, an issue and they really were were a little bit in, in it a little bit too deep for themselves or they've had a consultant that really had difficulty or wasn't experienced in this area and they come back to me that makes a lot of sense so i so okay you kind of mentioned a few things that you can get into, but I'm curious, do you have, or have you seen, or do you have common mis- pitfalls people get into when they're going through these MDCEP audits? Yeah. So the, the things that are important, well, the first thing to do is obviously to read the audit re- approach, but one of the things that would help companies out is to do some type of a mock audit, a mock MDCEP audit, so that at least the people, the process owners, or the people that normally get asked questions are, are a little bit more familiar with the terminology, what what type of questions, where the questions go. Sometimes people are used to, in audits, they just ramble on and they and they just explain whatever and that's it. Uh, but they don't get the specific questions that, you know, that that they may get 
during an MDCEP audit. And, and, and what happens also is the auditors challenge you a little bit more than maybe what you may be used to at, um, at 1345 audits, and they expect more evidence. So for example, for an internal auditor, so let's say if I'm auditing the internal audit process, the MDCEP auditor may ask, okay, show me the auditor's qualifications. And, and then you can show that they know ISO 1345. The, the auditor may say, well, that's great, but how about MDCEP qualifications? Show me that they're familiar with the regulations. Show me that they've been trained. And some auditors are a little bit more keen than others. And they, you know, they expect to see MDCEP training courses or MD. And this has thrown off a few people and a few companies that I know have received nonconformities along that line, which may be a, a more a different interpretation than some other uh, some other auditors have. So this is something that is, uh, you know, important that that companies train their 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 aud- internal auditors to the MDCEP requirements. It may not require a lot of training. It may just be a day training just so that they're familiar with the process, but it will be helpful because if you simulate the process to the auditees or to the people that you're talking to, they'll be more at ease. There won't be any big major surprises when they're going to be asked questions. Kind of similar to to Etienne's question, um, but with a maybe a slight twist, you know, you, every year FDA publishes their um, uh, inspectional observation data. So you can see, you know, how many 483s were issued for, you know, this issue and that issue and this issue, as well as warning letters. And routinely, you know, things like CAPA and complaint handling and design controls are usually, you know, definitely in the top five, usually uh, in the top three as far as issues. I'm not aware of any um, similar data with respect to, to ISO audits. I guess, first question, are, are you aware of any sources of data where I can see how companies are performing with respect to, to uh, ISO certification? That's a great question. I think some auditing organizations are doing the trending themselves, and some of them are also checking their own auditors to see what nonconformities they're giving their because there could be one auditor that every time he does an audit, he gives this uh, a nonconformity on, you know, post-market surveillance or uh, another area, and it seems to be that person's favorite. So they they do that tra- trending as well. So what what I what I think well, just from the companies that I know of, some of these companies are sometimes weak in terms of the regulatory requirements. So they're missing some of the regulatory requirements for the FDA. The FDA didn't inspect them up until now, and nobody has really gone in and checked what they're doing. And sometimes it's easy to find nonconformities related to the regulatory requirements. They're more like documented regulatory requirements to talk about the EMDR and other areas. Validation process, it, it, it follows the same trend as maybe as what you would find with the FDA results. Uh, a lot of people in terms of process validation, in terms of design controls, uh, in terms of change controls, those are the areas, and in CAPAs and, and complaints, those are the areas where I see 
more of the issues arise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so there's some similarities for sure. When MDSAP first rolled out, and, and you know, even yet still, one thing that I've often scratched my head about is why is the EU not one of the organizations that that's part of that program? Well, I think it has to do with everybody want thinks that their scheme is better than the others. The EU is an observer, and I'm sure that the the the, the group of countries would welcome the EU in, but the EU has their own setup in terms of how they how they want to manage the use of medical devices in their territory. And it's more of a legal arrangement because now the regulations are European law and they have, it's a different approach. It's a, it's a different right. approach. They're obviously uh, involved or as a witness, they're, they, they're seeing what's happening. But let's hope one day that we don't have to go through all these different schemes because it's, it, it's caused, it causes a lot of uh, anxiety for everybody, you know, having to go through. Well, you could have your MDR audit, EU MDR audit, at the same time as you have your MEDSAP audit, but it may not, you know, the auditor has to fill in different reports and yeah. it, it's a long, a long activity. Yeah. yeah and, and I think it'd be interesting to see if UK and, and MHRA and like they may be more inclined to to jump on the bandwagon. So I don't know if there's any movement there. But the other thing that's curious to me is at least for probably two, maybe three years, we've been hearing a little bit of chatter from FDA saying that they will be moving towards uh, ISO 13485. And I don't know if abandoning, but in lieu of 21 CFR Part 820. Have you heard any updates or insider information and in, 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 on that? And, and I guess if so, or either way, what is your reaction to that? Okay, well, I think the, the USA is, is, is kind of unique because they, I think that unofficially they embrace ISO 1345. And there are some differences between uh, ISO 1345, 2016 and 21 CFR Part 820. I think it's manageable. I think there is a group at the FDA that's working on this whole process. I think COVID, the COVID pandemic has caused them to delay a little bit because they've had other activities that were more important, more pressing at the time. I think I heard about a month ago or a couple of weeks ago that, that something's going to happen very soon. I think what's going to happen is that the U.S. medical device industry is the largest, you know, globally, it's the, it's the largest uh, in the world. And a lot of companies depend just on the domestic market. They don't have to sell all over, you know, the, the huge companies that are selling all over. It's not a problem for them. But those smaller companies that may not have the resources that some of the larger ones would have, I'm sure there would be some protests or there would be some feedback to make it easier for them to transition or to allow them another way to to conform. Because if they have to go through the MDSAP process, first of all, that's a huge market. You know, there there, there are a lot of companies that have MDSAP in in the United States, but there's a huge, there's a much bigger market of companies, small, small businesses, that are involved with medical devices that don't that are not certified, right. and that will create a big 
you know, I'm sure there would be some type of transition process, but I'm interested to see what would happen. I don't think everyone will, will accept it. I think that there will be some pushback. Yeah. For those listening to sort of unpack what, what uh, Danny is sharing a little bit, you know, it's not, it's not a requirement to sell United, uh, devices in the United States to be ISO certified in any way, shape or form. Um, technically speaking, it's not a requirement in other parts of the world either, but we, we don't necessarily have to get into that at this moment in time. Although Canada, obviously, we've already talked about has made that a requirement for the Canadian market. But, you know, there's plenty of companies, medical device companies who, you know, are selling their products uh, into the United States market that they've not, they, you know, maybe they've been subjected to an FDA inspection uh, every couple of years or so but they don't have any sort of formal certification for their quality system. So what happens if and when FDA says, hey, you have to be ISO certified to sell comp- your devices into the, the United States? That's going to be interesting. There's, there probably is going to be some pushback. There's probably going to be some resistance. And I also wonder how we, the, the community, and more specifically uh, auditing organizations, are going to be able to keep up with that demand as well. So, you know, we've had the, the MDSAP and, and Health Canada create sort of a bottleneck. We had EUMDR create sort of a bottleneck. This might too also create some sort of bottleneck. So, but it's going to happen. There's something that's going to happen. FDA is still talking about it. So we should anticipate that. Yeah, but it could be also a political decision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because somebody may say FDA don't do it, you know. Right. Yeah, they could, that could happen. And yeah. maybe, maybe there's going to be a new type of tool that will be available that with artificial intelligence, you'll be able to audit and you won't need to send an auditor. I don't yeah. know. There, there could well, be new technology that's going to be used so that we can become more efficient in terms of uh, being able to verify if the requirements are being met. You know, I, I know of one company that, that might be on the edge of that. So there's there's this uh, software provider called Greenlight Guru that uh, helps you know all of our customers with their their quality management system and their compliance initiatives and and you know there's some things we're working on that just might get us a step or two closer to what you talked about so we'll see. Well, I can tell you I I have been involved in one company with Greenlight Guru and it kind of saved them during the audit because. Uh, you know, maybe the person who was the most familiar with the documents wasn't there, wasn't available all the time, but they were able to to retrieve their records and be able to talk through the audit and be able to show evidence because they were able to show the risk management records, they were able to show the design development records, and they didn't have to be the expert. They Obviously, they were involved with, with it, but they weren't the expert. And and it kind of allowed them to make it through that audit because it wasn't in somebody's folder somewhere. It wasn't even on share drive. Nobody knows where it is. It was very easily retrievable and everything was there. So it saved them. So I, I've seen how it works and I've seen that these type of tools are very valuable because, because if you lose somebody in your organization, you see a lot of resignations now and people moving, you know, a certain level of the tribal knowledge is is still there because you have the system. You don't have to, you do, you're not going to lose the system. Right. 
That's a great story. I appreciate you sharing that, Danny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes me think of my past. Tribal knowledge was like a, a curse word in, at one place I worked at. and But it was a, a real thing. And I mean, you bring up a point about that tribal knowledge helping in the event of an audit and, and being able to overcome that, still be able to move forward with the audit. One step further, you know, is the design and development process, the ability to search those things and uh, actually working within the organization. It's more than just the audit. I, so I, I love that story as well. I mean, it's, it's that we're in the era where, and I think it's exacerbated now more than ever because, you know, the pandemic and so many folks are, are working remote that it actually stresses whatever system you have in place or lack thereof, right? So, you know, if, if you didn't have a good methodology or good systems or good, good solutions in place to help you manage documents and records before the pandemic, you're feeling that pain right now because, you know, everybody's, you know, a lot of your people are working from home and how are they getting information checked in or checked out of, of your system of record and that sort of thing. So uh, I can imagine there's all sorts of horror stories of companies yeah. that are feeling that right now. The, the area that I found that was useful was when was the change control process because it always prompted you to to look at whether training was required you know you know what were the impacts of that change and it really you know it made the process simple for the company as opposed to trying to remember oh we have to do training or and and it basically automated that process in in small organizations it may be easy to do but in medium to, to larger organizations, if it's not automated, you can always make a mistake and it's easy to make a mistake. And the other thing that I found in terms of the audit was that when you have an auditor in front of you and they have a whole list of questions and they're stressed out themselves and they want to, they know that they have a certain amount of time to answer, to, to get the answer to the question. And, you know, if you have a system where it's easily retrievable, you know, you're going to be less stressed out and it's going to be much easier for the auditor to, to show evidence that, that your system meets the requirements. It's a big difference because, you know, if, if you have your auditor and, and they're flicking their pen, you know, it's, it's almost like torture to, to, to be in that type of situation. You're sweating, you're saying, where is it? Where is it? And shouting. And, and sometimes there's, in small companies, they're faced with two auditors at, at once. So you have two yeah. auditors and you're answering the questions. And, and, there, and some, sometimes hard to, to interject here, but not only do, is there two auditors, but they're on one side of the table and they're doing this crosstalk, right? And they're having two different conversations. It's and, and you want to like hear both of them, both the conversations, but you can't. So it's like this, uh, you know, so, so it's, it's really a nerve wracking situation. Yeah. You have to be organized. Sometimes yeah. you have to print things out to just to get things organized. Or if you have this system, it will help you. It, it may makes things much easier for the company. Yeah. So, so Danny, as we you know work toward wrapping up this conversation, I'm curious. I mean, obviously, you have a lot of expertise in MBSAP, and you know maybe it is or isn't for for you know every company. I guess you know kind of depends on what their market opportunity is. And I you know would encourage folks to reach out to Danny if you're curious about whether or not MBSAP is something that that should be something you're considering. But you know, I guess just quality systems aside, I mean, you've shared uh, quite a bit of tips and knowledge from your experiences, but, you know, you mentioned the need to 
or, or the practice of doing a gap analysis and an audit, an internal audit. Above and beyond that, what are some some things that you want listeners to to leave with on what they should or shouldn't be doing with respect to their quality system initiatives? Well, the the best quality systems are the most uh, the simple quality systems. Don't try to make your system more complicated than necessary. And you know, if you have the ability to use automated tools, they'll make your life easier. Take advantage of it because those type of tools will save you at the end and it will make your, your, your system much easier to navigate. The other thing is, for specifically for MDSAP, there's a whole lot of resources available on the internet where you don't have to pay anybody to, to get those resources. So the FDA audit approach, uh, the, the FDA website, which provides the audit approach, they have some other documents, but the audit approach document, if, if you really study that, It'll, it'll be very worthwhile. It's a big document, but at least you'll have an idea what needs to be done. The other thing that that could be helpful is if you're if this is the first time you're going through this exercise, it, it, it's not a bad idea to reach out to somebody who who has experience with the MDSAP audits and walk you through a mock audit and uh, just give you an idea of how it is because. It's, it's a little bit different than, than what you may be used to if you've had ISO 1345 audits in the past. That's great advice. I, I appreciate you go, taking the time to go through and discuss all that. Just wanted a, a quick question. So the audit approach, that's the 231-page document you were mentioning? Okay. Right. We'll put a link to that in the, in the show notes so that anybody uh, who's interested is able to check that out. One more thing. I mean, to Danny's point, I mean, the, the FDA page on MDSAP is, it does have a ton of information. So Etienne, we can provide a link to that whole page because yeah. there's all, all sorts of resources there, which the top one is that audit approach document. But anyway, go ahead. Cool. How can people get a hold of you, Danny? Well, the easiest way is I'm on LinkedIn and you can find me on LinkedIn. I sometimes post some interesting information on LinkedIn. I try to help everyone. You know, if you ask a question, I'm not going to be a lawyer. I'm not going to charge you for it. I, I'm, I'm happy to help everyone. And if there is something that requires more work, obviously, you know, obviously I, I'm interested in, in helping your organization meet your requirements, meet your regulatory requirements. And wherever you are, because now a lot of the work is done remotely and I'm able to work with companies all over in Canada, United States, and also Europe. So it, it would be a pleasure to, to answer your questions. And if you do have any needs, uh, I, I'll be glad to help you out with them. Well, that's really exciting. I'm glad that there's resources like you, as well as all the others that we'll be providing as well out there for companies who are having to go through this maybe for the first time. So don't be afraid. There's a, there's a path forward. There's a path, <laughs> right. absolutely. Thank you so much, Danny. I appreciate your time and your insights today. Well, I appreciate Greenlight Guru. I think you have tremendous training. I think you've, you know, you've you've addressed the need because there there is a lack of information on a lot of topics and you've brought together conferences and and provided a lot of information uh, for free to the community. So I, I think you've done a great job. I have students that used the Greenlight Guru 
to research their projects and to help them uh, advance in their careers. So I think we have to also thank Greenlight Guru for providing all those resources and making them available to everyone. Thank you for saying so. I, I always appreciate hearing stories like this. That never grows old for me. That's one of the things when we started this company was we wanted to, to have an impact and improve the quality of life. That is our mission at Greenlight. And there's a lot of ways that I, I believe we do that. And to hear you say so, you know, in, in a couple of different facets, that makes us all uh, and our team uh, excited and feel good about what we're doing. So Etienne, we'll have to remember to to share some of these insights inside with with uh, the rest of the team at, at Greenland as well. So thank you for sharing that, Danny. I greatly appreciate it. You're welcome. All right. Thank you for the opportunity. You got it. Etienne, take us home. All right. Well, those of you who've been listening, uh, you've been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was it was eye opening for me. Very interesting and uh, um, great stuff. So definitely check out the resources that are provided. For those of you who are not familiar with Greenlight Guru, this is powered by Greenlight Guru. Go over to www.greenlight.guru and check it out. The only medical device success platform that is designed specifically for medical devices. Check it out. See how it can help you in your next audit. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.